So why don't we together open God's Word to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In just a moment, I'm going to be bringing a message I'm entitling, Who Do You Think You Are? Who do you think you are? You know, we're not what we think we are, but what we think we are. As a man thinketh, the Bible says, so is he, according to the wise Solomon when he wrote, as you'll find if you read the proverb every week in the 23rd proverb, chapter 7, as a man thinketh, so is he. We're going to look very carefully today at a very simple Bible truth that if you ever comprehend it and, and its meaning, and if we ever get a hold of it, we will get a hold of an eternal thought that will affect us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as long as we live, and will affect us in eternity. So I hope this will help as you listen to the message today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me read to you verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a short verse. Please let me read it again. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul wrote in the 17th verse, Therefore... If any man be in Christ, that's any person, man or woman, male or female, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. The Scripture says there, the old things pass away and everything becomes new. As a man thinketh, so is he. We're not what we think we are, but whatever you're thinking right now says a whole lot about who you are. You may be sitting here right now and say, I'm thinking about how long is this service going to last because I sure did work hard this week and the quicker I can get something to eat and get in bed, the better I'm going to like it. Well, that's not what you ought to be thinking. Maybe you're thinking about something experience you had last night, night before last, this weekend, something that you're facing this week. You see, what you think about is what you are. Now, we see frightening surveys about what men think about and what women think about on a 24-hour day. It's frightening because those surveys seem to reach out to the majority of the people and the majority of the people are not thinking on what is pure and what is holy and what is special to God, but they're thinking about that which the world is thinking about, which is temporal and which is destructive and which is captivating and even addicting. When sin rears its ugly head in the life of a Christian, sometimes a Christian begins to doubt their salvation. Now, a Christian should not doubt their salvation, but if you are just a churchgoer and 
you picked out of all the religions of the world, I just chose Christians seem to have the most benefits for me. Uh, then it speaks to you. But a Christian possesses something that the world does not possess, and it's the Spirit of God. That Spirit of God affects everything you do. There's no exceptions to what I just said. Everything you do. When you go to work, when you're at play, when you're by yourself, when you're with everybody else, when you're with those of your own sex, when you're with those of another sex, it is uh, always, it always the Spirit of God in you that begins to show up. Sometimes Christians ask, if I'm a Christian, why do I think like I think? Why are my thoughts so carnal? Well, if you know they're carnal, then maybe you're being convicted. Now, those that are not Christians aren't convicted very often. It's pretty obvious to them if this is the way society is going and this is the way culture is going and this is the way that all of my friends go, it's got to be right. How in the world would it be wrong and so many be out there participating? Peter speaks of this warfare when he states in 1 Peter 2.11, and I like Peter. I can identify with him. He was, he was, a, he was so honest. He was just blunt honest at times. And this guy really had a tough time coming out of his world and following Jesus. I mean, everything in his life was anti-God. But he wrote some of the greatest passages in all the Bible. 1 Peter 2, 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, listen to what Peter says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. Look what Paul said. We talked about last week the murder of Christians. He said in Romans 7, 19, for the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? If we're going to overcome the fear that the world has, we're going to have to understand the God that we have. That the God that we worship, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And when we see our fellow man falling, struggling, doing so many things that are absolutely asinine to the common sense of people, and you wonder, why is that? I hope today that we can see why. But here's the important thing. Every one of us, we need to just kind of shut the door and get in our own little closet and have our own mirror to have just enough light in the, in the closet that you can see yourself in the mirror and separate yourself from everything else and look in the eyes of that person in the mirror and say, who is the real you? Who are you? If you don't know what team you're rooting for, ball games aren't really that much fun. Just think about it. Why is everybody shouting and jumping up and down and cheerily for what? It doesn't matter who wins. No, you have a side. If you don't know who your God is and you don't know why you're here, everybody else will try to tell you why you're here and the first thing you know, you get extremely confused. And sometimes when people get confused, they get mad. And when they get mad, they get dangerous and they lose their mind. 
so to speak. But the scripture here is so very, very clear. Now, let's go back all the way to Genesis. Let's go to the first chapter of Genesis. The world, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the 26th verse of the first chapter of Genesis, here's what the scripture says. And God said, let us, let us. Who's the us? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three of the Godhead. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness. Now, everybody knows that your DNA is different from everybody else's. You weren't made after your mother's image or your daddy's image. You were made in the image of God. God had a plan for your life. God had a purpose for your life. God says to the Godhead, let's make man in our image with body, spirit, and soul. Those three things. The emotions are the soul. The body is obvious. And then God put in us, though, a spirit. And I want you to hold to that word. Because primarily, God is a spirit. And we're a spirit. Do you remember the story of the woman at the well? Do you remember, for those of you not, this is not a put down. If you didn't remember, say, I don't have any doubt. Don't worry about it, okay? This lady had a lot of problems in her life. She had had five marriages go bad. She was living with another man that she wasn't married to. Jesus stops by to drink water at the community water well. The disciples go into McDonald's to get him a hamburger or something. And he's standing there because he has a divine encounter with this woman. And in that moment, this woman discovers who she really is. Here's what he, what he said. He said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, verse 24. That day, that woman had a change in her life. That change was the spirit of God moved into her life. And now... Then her spirit bore witness of, with his spirit that they were a child of God. Now, the scripture is very clear that the way that you can know that you know that you are a believer in Christ Jesus, that you are accountable to his teaching of his children, his discipline that he chooses to offer, and you are the beneficiary of all that he promises to those that come to him in spirit and in truth, when you realize all of that, the pieces begin to fit together. And then you begin to realize why some things that everybody else thinks are so cool, you don't really get that much kick out of it. In fact, you even wonder why in the world would somebody do that to themselves? And the real you, the real me, we're a spirit, we're the body. I don't disagree with that yet. Wait till I get through here, and it won't take long. We're a spirit. We are a spirit that God has filled if, with his spirit if we've invited him to come into our life. That spirit is something that if you don't understand it, you're going to have all kinds of problems. Paul gives us a better explanation in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. 
Did you know that our spirits communicate our attitudes and our emotions? The reason some people have such a hard trouble, have such a hard time living as God wants them to live is their spirit is embittered. They got I love Jesus bumper stickers, ectuses, and honk if you love Jesus all over their cars, but don't ever cut in front of them on the highway because their spirit doesn't bear witness with God's spirit for sure. They just act like the devil. It's just horrible. You know, they may even use God's name in vain as they go by. And some people store up that negative energy and the positive energy that comes from the Spirit of God is pushed aside and we get more negative and more negative and more negative. And there are signs that come up. One of the signs that come up that probably everybody can identify with in this group is lust versus love. Lust and love are not the same thing. A lot of men can say to a woman, I love you, and he does not love her. He lusts for her, and he says, I love you because I love me, and I want you. There's a big difference in lust and love. Love cannot wait to give. Love wants what is best. What love respects. It sees nothing evil. Love does not take advantage of the one being loved. Real love is real love, and real lust is worldly lust. And the problem today is that we're living in a world that's full of lust instead of love. We say we love our children. We've aborted 60 million of them. Something is wrong. Something bad is wrong. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. For what man knows the things of a man? Save, listen, save the spirit of God. Save the spirit of man which is in him. The spirit is the only one can identify with his spirit. So what keeps us close to where God wants us to be, if we're full of the Holy Spirit, it keeps us exactly where we ought to be, is the spirit of God. Our spirit is a real us. What is in you and what is in me is a real me. It doesn't matter how much I can talk the talk. If the walk is not there and the heart is not there, then the Spirit of God is not there. And if the Spirit of God is there, is not there, we're not saved. Our spirit is the real us. And it's the spirit of man that relates to the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit that wrote this book. It is the Holy Spirit that interprets this book. The Holy Spirit is, that is within me allows me to pick up this book. And when someone shows me a scripture, I can take this and I can look at it and the Spirit will communicate to me and to you, if you're God's child, what he wants to say. There are two things which are functions of the Spirit and they're gifts to us from God. Number one is grace. The Spirit of God gives us two things. I give them to you if you take notes. Number one is grace. Number two is faith. Grace comes from God and faith comes from God. I would think somebody ought to write a song about grace, maybe call it Amazing Grace. Don't you think that would be a good song for one of our young people to write? Don't you think that'd be a good one? You bet it's a good one. You know I'm kidding you, but that's still the number one song in the world among Christians. Why should it? Because it's a gift Grace is a gift from God's Spirit. 
And when we look at the Scripture, Galatians 6 to 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's what Paul said to the, to the Galatians. Then to Philemon, he said, in the first chapter, verse 25, the identical same words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. See, it is our spirit that hooks on to the grace of God, the grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense. I go over that with you over and over again because you need to understand what it is. The grace of God is the unearned benefits of God, the love of God put into one. So God's love from God's spirit comes to our spirit to fill us with love to where people can say, behold, how they love one another. The second one is faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 9. Another is given faith by the same spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. We have, Paul said, to the church in Corinth, we have the same spirit of faith. We have the same thing. The love of God, the grace of God, the faith of God, that all things are going to work out to good, for, for good to those that love the Lord. But listen to the scriptures as they come on grace, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God said, I have made myself evident to the whole world to give them a glimpse of what I'm like. The heavens declare the glory of God. As we respond to the revelation God gives us, then God sends us more revelation from more different ways because if we see what is obviously that God created the heavens and the earth, as the world is confused and still trying to figure out how the world was created, the person that knows God created the heavens and the earth can go to chapter 2. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? When you put grace and faith together, you get something good. You say, well, what do you get good? Well, you get a good scripture. Ephesians 2, 8. Are you ready? For by grace are you saved through? For by grace are you saved through? Faith. Notice those two words. And salvation. Grace, faith, salvation. Those ought to just ring out. Then he says, it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, folks, it is grace, God's love. I, my childlike faith that equals my salvation, period, period. It's not by works of righteousness that I have done, but by the Son's stripes I've been healed. And because of what Jesus did, and the Father says, he said, it is finished, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he rose to be with the Father or he died, and the Spirit went to be with the Father. The body was put in the grave, and three days later, the Spirit returned on resurrection morning. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then there's some other things that we have that the Spirit will give us. Let me give them to you real quickly. Wisdom. Reading to you from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 15, 16, and 17. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all of the saints, I cease not to give thanks 
to God for you, making mention to you in my prayers, now listen to the 17th verse, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, that's us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We've got the wisdom from God and the revelation of his word through the blessed Holy Spirit. The Spirit also gives us love, power, and discernment. It's all in one verse, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For not, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. The world is scared to death, folks. We're scared to death about what Iran is going to do. We're scared to death of what's going to happen in the streets. The theaters are being shot up. The churches are being shot up. This nation and this world is scared to death. But God has not given believers a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. And the sound mind is that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord and know that they are called according to his purpose. And if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. We win, folks. We win. It's not up for who's going to win. We have already won. It is finished. The battle is over and Jesus is Lord. And don't you forget it. Don't you run out here and start arguing with your Muslim friends or Buddhist friends or followers of Confucian or whatever. That, that's their business. But you need to know whom you have believed and that you are persuaded that he is able to keep that which has been committed unto him against that day. Whatever that day is in your life, God's in control. And if you belong to him, he says no weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper because this is inheritance of my kids, the children of God. Boy, that's good stuff, folks. I mean, if you have a bad hamburger for lunch, just think about the scripture. It is good. It is good. I think you'll find this quite interesting and helpful. I want to ask you a question, rhetorical question. We won't come to the mic. When does life end? Physical life, when does it end? Your life, when's it going to end? Just think about that now. If you're a doctor, when does it end? Is it when the machine goes flat, when it flatlines? Is it when the respirator is no longer effective? Is that when you die? Or am I talking to some folks today and you've been close to death and you were there? And you would say, Pastor, and I've been there many times, I agree with you because I've had experience, maybe more than one, when it was very obvious that the one that I loved had already gone. And they were frantically running around with all their machines trying to get it back. And they were putting on those paddles and they were doing all of this. But the one that I loved was absent from the body and present with the Lord. You don't die until your spirit dies. And your spirit ain't going to die. It's not going to die. The body can be kept alive, but the spirit for a while, not forever, for a while. And that, those machines keep a lot of lawyers and lawmakers busy, and a lot of doctors struggling. But it sure is good to have a peace that passes all understanding. It's sure, it's sure good not to wait till the test comes back. It's sure good not to wait till well, the lab's got it held up right now. You know, we're trying, but you're number three in line, and you'll probably have your test of your loved one in the next two or three hours, you know. But we'll bring you the results as soon as we find it. That's a tough world to live in. But isn't it good to know something about an eternal, everlasting life? 
Isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it wonderful to know the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Isn't it good to know that God is alive and in control? He is God. You know what Jesus said on the cross? I'm going to stop and you fill in the blank. When did Jesus? What happened? Father, into your hands... I commend my, my what? Spirit. And having said thus, thus, he gave up the ghost. It was finished. It already been said. I've done the work you sent me to do. Now my spirit is going to come to you, Father. And then we have the other events. And now that spirit is passed on to the children of God. Only God can control the spirit. Medical science can control the body to some extent, but only God controls the spirit. If life is in the spirit, and I believe it is, scriptures like Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 become even more informative. Listen to this. The natural man receives not the, not the spirit of God. Their foolishness to him. Let me stop right there. The natural man receives not what I'm talking about right now, the Spirit of God. It's against everything in man to believe that you can be born again by the Spirit of God. That's what the Scripture says. It says they are foolishness to him. You ever been laughed at for your faith? Yeah. Neither can he know them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. My dear friend, you don't understand the grace of God totally ever but you don't understand anything of the grace of God and the love of God until you become a child of God. Once you are born again and you come into the family of God, then life takes on a totally different perspective and you don't look to, oh, my, you know, looky, looky, what he, lordy, lordy, look who's 40. And then, the, and then the 50s and then the 60s and then the 70s and then the 80s and all that kind of stuff. No, you don't worry about that anymore. It's forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. When Adam died, the real me and the real you died. I'm going to show you something here, and then we've got, to, we've got to close. In the second chapter of Genesis, God told Adam, in the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. The fruit, Remember? He said, you're going to die. When you eat it, you're going to die. That's chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 3, the devil's chapter. The devil said, God's lying to you, Adam, Eve. God is a liar. He says in the fourth verse, the devil, you shall not surely die. Now, follow me. God said, you eat that, Adam, you're going to die. The devil said, if you eat that, you're not going to die. The Bible says and records that Adam didn't die physically. But he died spiritually that day. And he's passed that on to us. Now, I'm dead spiritually when I'm born, and you're dead spiritually. It doesn't show up on your physical DNA. It only shows up in your conduct. You were selfish. You were mean. You kept your grandma and mom and daddy up all night long. 
You would cry like you were just about to literally die, and as soon as they touched you, you went, mm. <laughs> you were a liar when you were born. And so was this pastor, maybe a bigger one than you because I was a spoiled brat-only child. But now follow me. Stay with me. Don't let me lose you here. I'm about ready to close. That day, your spirit died. And I don't care how much you want to try to like church and like sermons and like Christian music and like those kind of things of God, you will never like them and love them until you know the author and the writer and the originator and that God lives in your life. Now, you're not going to do it. I don't care how hard you try. You can't do it. You love the things of this world, and the world knows that. That's the reason they produce the movies they produce, write the filthy comedy they, they uh, write, and live the lives that they live, and do the crazy things that all the, the generations want to do in being with their heroes. That is who we are until a wonderful change in your life takes place when Jesus comes in. And when Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit comes in, and old things pass away, and all things become new, and you will never find a person that ever happened to that said, I regret that that ever happened in my life. All you'll find is, I wished it had happened 25 years before it did. I wished it had happened three marriages ago, five affairs ago, six uh, times in jail ago. I wish that that would have happened in my life then. Well, we can't undo the past, but thanks to Calvary, today is a day of salvation. Now is accepted time, the Bible says. Today, you can be born again. And if that happens to you, the Spirit of God will come into you and will never leave you and will never forsake you. He will guide your life. He will comfort you when you walk through the valley. He will be with you when you're on the mountain. And he will let, it, let your successes be used for his glory. And your wealth or your success will make him look good, not you look good. And you'll rejoice in that because you have decreased and he has increased. And all glory comes to him. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. And you'll be singing that song and it'll move in the top 10 of your all-time best list to listen to. Well, Romans 5, 12 says, By one man sin entered to the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That was in Adam. But look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all are going to die, even so in Christ all may be made alive. Jesus says a shocking thing in Matthew 7, 33. Many will say to you in that day, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Listen to this. Have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have we not cast out devils? In your name have we not done a lot of wonderful works? And then I will say, I will profess unto them, depart from me. I never knew you. You got to know more than just know about God. You got to know God. You can't know God until you die yourself. You can't, you can't know God until you say, not my will, but thine be done. But the moment that happens, and every single week, thanks to Calvary, we see it in that baptistry. Some of the most glorious stories were today, earlier today, last week, Sagemont 5, I mean, God is changing people's lives every single week, and that's what it's all about. It's not about building a church. It's about knowing a resurrected Savior. Do you know him?
Do you know him? Do you love him? If you know him, you know the difference between right and wrong. You know it. If you don't know it, you don't know him. Because he says, I'll show you the way. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Follow me. I will make you whatever I want you to be. Fill in the blank. That's what it means. Hey, listen. You don't have to play the lottery to get this. You don't have to buy a ticket to get this. You haven't seen any plate pass by you today. And for those of you who watch by television, we do not pass offering plates that say, my nor do we ask you to give on television or the Internet. When you do, you give because God told you to. But listen, God wants you, loves you as much as he loves anybody that you admire more than anybody on the planet that knows God. He wants to come into your life. But it's paid for. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but the blood of Jesus washed it white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But the blood will never lose its power. 